Hey everyone, my name is Maggie Tang. And I'm Elena Cho. And welcome to Gourmand, a show set on empowering the next generation of food lovers and leaders. Today we're sitting down with Sum and Kalina, co-owners of Coffee Project in New York City, an award-winning coffee brand, roastery, and training center. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank Thank you. you. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Yeah, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Um, And so we wanted to start out just by asking a little about your upbringings, and we know that you were both born in Malaysia and grew up there. And so we'd love to hear about sort of your childhoods and where that love of coffee came from, if it started in childhood or later. Um, I can start. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So hi, my name is Sum. Um, So uh, I was born and raised in Malaysia, and I moved there about 10 years ago. Um, My love for coffee actually started uh, when I was really young. Um, I think in Malaysia, coffee is like more like a culture. Uh, it's like something that you hang out with uh, your families, your friends. So not so much on how to drink or like taste the fall. It's literally just like an event or an experience. So I actually started drinking coffee when I was five. Um, I remember going out for breakfast and I'm like, everyone is like having their iced coffee, hot coffee. So I told like, my parents was like, hey, I also want an iced coffee. And it comes in such a baby shape, like <laughs> small vessel. Uh, but that's how I started with coffee. Um, but it didn't hit my mind or anything when I grew up drinking coffee until I actually come to the United States. Um, and then I realized that um, coffee is like really interesting. Um, you don't drink, like I've never had a coffee without my sugar until I come here and I finally discovered that, oh my gosh, coffee can actually taste like um, this, like blueberry, floral and all that. So I decided to explore a little bit more and then I started learning how to make coffee at home. And um, that's how I started with my uh, coffee journey. Mine was, well, I guess I didn't start as early as Mm -hmm. you. Um, Coffee growing up, like you said, it's more a social, event thing like you you gather with your friends uh we're from malaysia malaysia is a muslim country um so alcohol is not huge there but nightlife uh for for young people is always gathering in mama stores which is well you get a lot of like roti like different types of roti uh different types of like curry and then it's always paired with either um tea or coffee uh for me it's more you know it's it kind of started during during the era when you start hanging out with your friends you know, during your teen years um it's something cool that you do uh but then you know like it's it's more for the caffeine uh yeah, when think, you know we're when i'm in college yeah, i think we call it like our version of a sports uh bar <laughs> that is there's no alcohol in there mm-hmm. How would you say that coffee culture is different in Malaysia than what we have in America? We drink coffee 24 <laughs> seven. Um, uh, I think uh, as late as 11, because uh, a lot of people will go to like hang out, uh, drinking coffee or tea, um, watching footballs, um, but uh, soccer. So soccer back home is always like sometime late at night. So uh, we always go out there um, and then we hang out. We pay zero attention to what we're drinking. Yeah, I think back then we were just like hanging out and like drinking and just a lot of chat. Um, so I think this is the biggest difference I realized in here. People stop drinking coffee 
at maybe 4 p.m. I've never seen decaf in my life before I come to the United States. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've heard of the concept of decaf. Really? I, I don't but, know. I'm like so blinded. I've not seen decaf, taste decaf. Or what is decaf? <laughs> it's very different. The way we would prepare the coffee would also be very different. Over here, you have a lot of espresso base drinks. Mm -hmm. uh, back home, it's the more traditional nail drip. Uh, drip. So it's kind of like a sock, <laughs> basically. It's a net, uh, it's a cloth filter. You grind your coffee really coarse and you don't think too much about over extraction or under extraction. It's all about putting the coffee in there. When the flavor gets um, a little thin, you add more coffee, you pile more up there and then you, you keep going. Yeah. yeah, so this is uh, what I grew up with. Uh, my family actually has some sort of like a coffee shop back home in Malaysia uh, where we do this coffee, the now drip style. So um, learning how to make this coffee, it's I, I think as long as you're not afraid of hot water, you'll be able to be a very good barista because <laughs> strong arm, net, pile of coffee, hot water. When it's thin out, you pile more coffee and super over extracted, but um, you can't really tell like, like I said, because we don't pay attention too much on what we're drinking. All we, I think the only thing we, we always talk about is how diluted my coffee is or how, how strong my is. coffee yeah. is. It's never like, oh, my coffee tastes <laughs> like this and this and this. Yeah, so I think this is the main difference. Have you ever tried to make that coffee here in the state? And have, like, what are people's reactions to that? We did it one time uh, when we started Coffee Project in East Village. And uh, we, it was still, we were still pretty new and we we're like, okay, maybe we'll have some time. So we did a Malaysian brunch. Um, we actually told Polina's uh, mom to send us like a bunch of traditionally used cup uh, from the Kopitiam. Um, so it looks like ceramics with some flowers on it. Um, and then we also shipped uh, the coffee that we always drink in a coffee shop back home in Malaysia here. Um, when we're making it, uh, it's, I think then I kind of know what coffee is like here. I will pick up a little bit of notes. I would call it almost like a salted caramel mocha situation. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And wow. Uh, it was great. Uh, we invited some friends. We introduced the coffee to some of our regulars. And we had a great time uh, doing it. But we only did it one time because ever since then, we just didn't get a chance to bring them in again. It was so expensive to actually like career it here. And uh, the method of preparation is also taking up our space. Um, but we all had a good time that day. It feels like home. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Um, so we'd love to learn a little bit more about what you guys were doing before you started Coffee Project and how you guys met. Um, we were acquaintance in college to start up but we officially met when we both were doing a mentoring program for a UNICEF funded program yeah it's a yeah. UNICEF funded program yeah we work with disadvantaged youth we were we were volunteering yeah um, uh, as mentors in the program yeah yeah so uh, it's very similar to the big sisters and big brothers program in New York City but yeah yeah, we coached them and then we were like, doing a lot of things together. I, I remember we were being in theater and we were like um, write scripts together and they have to perform at the end of it. It was pretty nice. Uh, I think at least like a three to four months program. Um, that's how we met. Uh, then we both parted ways. He, I, I came here for work. I got transferred here for a job. 
and I stayed in New York City. Uh, then we met again in New York. Yeah, I came here for school. I went to Minnesota for college. Uh, huge difference in weather. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. To- <laughs> it was so cold. <laughs> more like the culture shock came from the weather more um after graduation I came to New York for work and I work as a case manager I work with individuals with developmental disability Uh, I majored in psychology back in school and then we met again in New York um it was after probably like three to four years ago that we decided to start coffee project Oh, much later. When we decided to start Coffee Project, we already dated. I mean, we were already dating and like seeing each other. Yeah. Um, I think it was in 2015, uh, we started Coffee Project. Uh, I came here in 2010 for work. So it was five years. Oh, about five years. Yeah. So, so you guys were in New York for a while. What, who had the idea for Coffee Project? And clearly, you know, coffee was a part of both of your lives. I'd love to hear that story too and sort of what made you take the leap and actually do it. Um, so we both like to hang out a lot in coffee shop. Um, we also like to drink coffee. Um, also like to do a lot of, I'm, I like to do a lot of things with my hands. But I think the ultimate push for me to say, hey, I want to start a coffee shop is when I got really burned out from my previous work. Um, um, because I was in IT, so it's like long hours work, don't feel much appreciation, and it's a very male-dominant industry. So voices can't be heard that much. Um, so when we got when I got back, I just talked, I just told Polina literally like, hey, um, why don't we start something on our own? Um, and the one thing that we both enjoy doing a lot is like doing things with coffee. I have zero experience. As a barista, I've never owned a coffee shop or like own any business. But we thought like maybe it will be okay for us to just uh, take the leap of faith and like go for it because we're both really hardworking people, we feel. And we're <laughs> also thinking about starting something on our own. And Kalina just said yes. And then we're like, oh, okay, goodbye jobs. <laughs> I, I was at the point where I'm trying to move on from what I'm doing. So I was, I was a, a caseworker back then for five years, you're right. And I was in the process of pursuing um, a degree in speech language pathology. And I, it was just like something that I am interested in, but it's also something that, oh, maybe I will like that a little bit more. And when some came home one day and it's like, oh, why don't we open a coffee shop? And I'm like, okay, I guess that would work. <laughs> so we quit our jobs and uh, started Coffee Project. Thank God it worked. <laughs> wow. It's, it's fascinating to hear that you both were so, you know, bold enough to take that leap and um, great that you had that confidence as, as hard workers that it was a risk you were willing to take. Yeah, I trust her a lot. And I think the equal amount of trust. So we're like, okay, uh, what is there to lose, to be honest? Like, Worst case scenario is we pack our bags and say goodbye to New York City. I'm like, hey, I failed, mom. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's the worst case scenario for us. Um, but uh, we kind of did not think about uh, backup plan because I've, I, I still have that feeling right now. If I were to do something thinking that there is a backup plan, I will always have thoughts like, hey, I'm not going to give 
100% because I have backup. So back then it was really, for me, mentality is like, do or do or do it more. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's so important having that mentality and just like going all in. What was the vision for Coffee Project when you guys first started? Because now you guys have expanded to multiple stores, have training programs, would love to hear what, I guess, the initial uh, Coffee Project looked like in your mind. Mm-hmm. So you've been to, uh, you visited the East Village location. So you see it, it's a very, very tiny shop. It's also what we could afford uh, back then. And when we first started, we both quit our job. We worked seven days. We wanted it to be a mom and pop shop. We wanted it to be like your neighborhood, you know, coffee shop. And, and I think we succeeded at that. Uh, we were there again seven days. We didn't hire anyone because of course we want to save costs, especially at the very beginning. So we've been working and working and working. A friend told us that, you know, eventually your business is going to have a life of its own. Uh, and, and it was true. Uh, we initial idea, the ideal was you're going to work six days and then you're going to take one day off. The shop's going to be closed. And then when you're away, you put up a sign and said, be back in two weeks. That never, (laughs) that never happened. So if this is your idea of a coffee shop, it's not going to work. Um, yeah, it, it, it kind of had a life of its own. Um, we were really lucky that we got picked up by a local blog, Mm. uh, my friend Barry yeah. mentioned us and Time Out New York picked up on that. Mm. And I think that was about two, three months into the business. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Like when we started, we, we wanted to be like a uh, mom and pop shop, um, a little bit more like um, creative. And we don't want to like just play by the rules kind of situation. So if people will come in, like when we first opened, you will see me making a lot of crazy drinks that is not on the menu anymore. It's like literally, what do you feel like making some... Uh, I'm going to make you an Earl Grey with like coffee, maybe with some random things in there as well. So the concept when I was telling Kalina, I said, hey, I'm hoping that maybe down the line, Coffee Project can be almost like a bar where people come and hang out and tell you about their life and then say goodbye. And then tomorrow they want to come again and like tell you about another part of their life. But I don't want to do it at night because I love sleeping so much. So (laughs) in the morning, it kind of did. We make so much friends and we don't really have a, uh, menu to follow except when people want to come in and drink a cappuccino or a latte um, yeah I still remember all this crazy um, drinks that we whipped up um, and then it came to deconstruct a latte that put us on the map on a lot of um, tourist magazine blogs and it attracted a lot more people to come over um, and our nitro flight and all um, so that's when we decided like oh man this is not gonna make it we can't really do it the way we want to do anymore because we cannot keep up. There are days where people will wait 20 minutes for hot chocolate. And we're like, okay, no, Kalina, this is bad customer experience. We have to figure out a way. Yeah, I mean, what drew me there was the deconstructed coffee. I thought it was so interesting. How did you guys come up with that? Uh, Travel. So we travel quite a bit before we started Coffee Project. And uh, we were in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, there were a lot of places where you get to drink a lot of different coffee. And then Deconstructed Latte, giving all the credit, is actually from Slate Coffee Roasters. And we were there, we tried it. Um, and then we took this concept back to New York City where we were sourcing for our espresso and milk. 
We do this at home all the time because we want to see how our coffee tastes like when it's on its own and with milk. And then um, when we finally decided to like found the coffee that we profile flavor that we want to go for and find this milk that we want to do, when we put together and one thing to do deconstruct a latte, we thought like if we just bring it to the table and someone order it, they don't see why we're doing it. Just like how I feel when I was in Seattle, like why are you doing it? You're pouring coffee in glasses and you're drinking it. It's very pretty, very photogenic, but why? Because I want people to know that this is my process of uh, constructing a latte from the deconstructed version uh, because a lot of people don't know that there's espresso in the latte. And this is also the friendliest way for us to introduce uh, an espresso to a person who don't drink espresso. It's intimidating if you go into a coffee shop and say, hey, can I have an espresso all to myself? Therefore, we decided to do it this way, bring it to the table, tell people where the origin of the coffee is, why we source this milk and how you will drink it, um, and create that breach of communication between the customers and the barista. Yeah, I, I personally enjoy that a lot. Yeah, yeah no, a- absolutely, absolutely. The inspiration of the product definitely came from um, Slate, like you mentioned. I, I think the addition part, additional part of actually bringing it to the customer's table, walking them through the whole process, um, uh, there's two, I guess there's two main reasons to it, I would mm-hmm. say. Uh, number one is it, it is the friendliest way, right? To, to introduce someone to the components of the latte um, and not make it very intimidating and not being snobbish about it. It's mm-hmm. all about sharing knowledge, uh, showing people that you, you need really good, you need really good skills, Marisa, uh, to pull a good shot of espresso and you need to source good ingredients. Like your milk needs to be good. Uh, and when you have both of that together, you, you get a good cup of latte. Uh, we, the whole, the whole reason of bringing it to the table, it's kind of like a table side service where, where you get the whole walkthrough of what and how to drink it, um, came from when we're dining in uh, like Michelin star restaurants where people will actually come to your table and explain what you are eating or what you are drinking or what you should be experiencing. And we want that sort of experience for for our customers too. I love that. And I also, you kind of touched on this, but you're not only then bringing, um, connecting the customer with the barista, but then it's extending back into how you're sourcing and connecting them with the source, which is amazing. how do you guys think about sourcing um, when it comes to both, you mentioned your milks and also your coffees and sort of everything that you're incorporating? Back then it was just really the taste. Um, I want things that taste good in the shop. Um, I will only serve things that I will eat in the shop, drink in the shop. But now in 2021, uh, I'm thinking a lot more about sourcing responsibly. Like, well, my sourcing firm, um, where does my money go? Because now we, ha- we have purchasing power where the company can decide on where this money can go to supporting a certain farm or producer. And I personally have uh, this really big focus on sourcing from women producers. I like to source from women coffee farmers um, and uh, encourage a lot more other women businesses to work together. 
is because I think um, partially, maybe unconsciously, I feel like as we start Coffee Project, um, we actually have gone through a lot of hardship, not knowing that it's because we are women entrepreneurs. Right. Yeah. So now that we have a chance, um, we want to do our part as well, be it however we can help. Yeah. So this is one, one of the biggest focus we have in Coffee Project. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Responsibly. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. And to us, it's also about the sustainability of the whole coffee supply chain. Um, coffee come a really long way. And a lot of the times in country of destination, like, you know, the United States, when we see coffee, it's usually in the form of, you know, liquid, right? Uh, or roasted beans. Uh, we never really get to see what happened at the origin. Uh, there are people who actually farm it. Uh, you'll be surprised though, people who don't know that coffee is a plant. Uh, it comes from a cherry. It's the seed of a cherry. And, and that there's a lot, it's a very labor intensive process. It goes through, you know, fermentation, just like wine, uh, but it doesn't fetch the same price as wine, right? So I guess for us, it's very important to be able, like some said, uh, to use our purchasing power to, to help people um, at the source of, like, at the very source of coffee, uh, which is, you know, the farming level, the producer's level. Um, it's only when the whole supply chain um, survives that we'll be able to even get coffee. It's great to hear you speak about because like you said, people don't realize, I think, and we're so detached now as consumers from that source. And I think that, you know, there are some great companies like you guys that are working to sort of combat that and the whole movement around it nowadays. But I think that, yeah, as consumers, it's it's easy to feel very distant and separate. Yeah, I won't be surprised if down the road, maybe 10, 20 years later, like people don't even see what whole bean coffee looks like. They, all they know coffee comes from maybe a capsule, you know, mm-hmm. and that's it. A machine will do it for us and things like that. So um, we advance along with the, um, what the world has. At the same time, we want to be able to advance in a way that we can do our part uh, in sustainability and um, sourcing and like making sure there's a balance between like everyone. Now, we all know a lot of people are drinking uh, pouches, um, curry cups, because it's convenient. So how can we as a company who source responsibly also advance with this, uh, through this route? Because then, if not, um, people will just be sourcing from resources that um, maybe don't care much about the environment. So there's a big movement in the specialty coffee world as well, where not as rigid as like, oh, I just want to like do this, this, this. Like I've seen more and more uh, people who care are moving towards like doing things like this so that convenience can bring more people together and understand the concept that, hey, uh, coffee farmers need to be paid what they deserve. Yeah, yeah. I think it's so incredible how thoughtful you guys are about how um, having a coffee shop can lead to education and lead to um, more training opportunities and just more um, conversation about what's going on in the coffee world and what like the average consumer can do. 
Can you tell us more about expanding Coffee Project from the one shop in the East Village? And now you guys are have training programs. Yeah, so we started with East Village, uh, sort of like a mom and pop shop style. We hired a few uh, team members back then, and we were really happy because we can finally get a day off uh, in the week. And then uh, it, it just so happened that one of them uh, needs to move to the UK. Uh, one of them is moving back to Pennsylvania. And then one of them is moving on to uh, a major role in the, a bigger company. So at that point, it just got us thinking, well, most people want to grow, like we want to grow too. Uh, but they're not at a point where you know, young people are not at the point where they're just happy <laughs> working as a barista. Everyone wants to grow. So we, we talked our, amongst ourselves and we realized that unless we provide opportunity to grow, we're not going to be able to retain talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's just two offices and East Village is such a small store. We don't need a different manager because we are there working on the floor. Uh, back then. Um, so we were like, oh, maybe maybe we can start a second location. And a lot of our story and the company's development has a lot to do with relationship that we built in the first shop. Our real estate uh, agent who found us a second location is actually a regular in East Village. He lives right on the same street. He just walk in one day and ask us, hey, have you guys thought about opening, you know, a different location? We were like, oh yeah, we talked about that, uh, but we never did anything about it. So he's like, okay, uh, why don't I look around and uh, I'll let you guys know if I see anything that's, you know, worth visiting. And we finally found this location in Brooklyn, uh, Fort Greene, Brooklyn. Uh, back then, Whole Foods hasn't opened yet. Uh, Apple Great. Store hasn't opened yet in that area. Uh, it was in the back alley, uh, which is kind of like a speakeasy vibe. We like that vibe. Uh, it's also in the cultural district in Fort Greene. So BAM is right there. Uh, Academy of Music's right there. Um, Urban Glass, it, it's like right there. So we really like that vibe. Mm. Uh, that's why we started the second location. And then uh, after a while, we realized that our team members are mainly coffee professionals. So they actually work full-time in coffee and they want to advance their career in coffee. So again, we get together, we, we kind of like talk about this and we're like, okay, uh, we have people who want to be in education. We have people who are interested in competing in coffee. We have people who are interested in roasting. Uh, like how do we bring everything together? There was an opportunity at that point to open up a location in Long Island City, which is the one that we're in right now. Uh, We came and took a look at the space and it's big enough for us to do everything we want to do. And and here we are. So this is our third location. We have our own grocery right over here. Uh, We have team members that are right now like, you know, he moved from a barista and became a roaster. We, we sponsored two of our baristas in 2019 to compete in U.S. Brewers Cup Championship. 
one made it, it's, it's the first time competing. One made it to top 20 in the US, one made it to top 10 to the US. Uh, we were really proud. And now, you know, we're teaching. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Could you talk a little more about, and you started to touch on this, but what progression can look like in the coffee world? Because I think that for a lot of people who don't know that much about it, you know, you think, oh, you can be a barista and that's kind of it. But it obviously expands to so much more than that. And so could you talk to that, speak to that a little bit? It is actually true. Like um, when I speak, when we both speak to our parents about what we're doing here in university, they are thinking like, it's just another coffee shop with a bunch of teenagers trying to pay bills, go to school, college graduates. Um, and we're like, not that case. But yes, there are, but not that case. Um, so all our baristas, uh, like what Kalina mentioned, they are full-time coffee professionals. Um, they literally spend their non-working hours reading about coffee, doing coffee experiment. Um, and um, you, we start everyone else uh, as a barista, like where you learn how to brew coffee, uh, hospitality and all that. But as you move on, if you have more interest in doing certain area of coffee, there's a lot of other things that you can do. We're talking about like moving to education, like what Kalina is doing actually, yeah, from a barista position back then to now a coffee direct, uh, education director of Coffee Park in New York, teaching like every week, uh, telling people about the history of coffee from a cherry, um, like how production is done to like me, also started as a barista, now that I am the head roaster of Coffee Project in New York, uh, where I would source green coffee and then uh, roast them, cup them with my production crew and decide that, oh, this is the profile that we're going for. You will roast like this moving forward to the production crew where you don't do much hospitality anymore, but you're digging more into like reading the moisture of your coffee, um, checking the colors of the roast or like, uh, taking the density and uh, taking data. So this, it gets a lot more scientific now when you move backwards to, if not be a competition barista and like take the coffee roasted by your company, represent your culture and compete. You can also move on to becoming a manager. And we also encourage people to go into more electrical um, and technical stuff. So our barista is also moving on to work uh, getting trained by uh, espresso machine uh, manufacturer to learn how to do tech. So there's a lot of branching to it, so even advertising, marketing. So anything you can think about doing in coffee, we're just focusing on doing coffee, but uh, in different field. Because yeah. I think we started, we started like that. Like I didn't want to be just a coffee shop owner. Um, I want to be the barista in the coffee shop. And then we moved on to so many different fields. Um, we both have zero experience in coffee, like we mentioned, but where we're at, where we're at right now, it's, it's doable for anyone who has the interest and passion for it. We just spend like enormous of time just reading about this green bean, roasting them and like not just drinking coffee, we're literally eating the coffee beans. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I definitely agree that, um, experience it's it's definitely not the most important thing uh for us in our case we started with no professional experience um in the field that we're doing right now 
we spent a lot of time uh, playing with coffee, experimenting with coffee. We spent a lot of time and effort educating ourselves about coffee. Passion goes a long way, but I think it needs to be paired with, uh, I guess, a, a game plan. Uh, in our case, we decided that you know we're gonna go really serious. Uh, in this business. At first, we, we didn't really know, you know, whether it's going to work or not. You know, you dive into a new field and then you try it out, you test the water. And, and we liked it. We liked the feel. We want to stay in coffee. Uh, but we also understand it's a very competitive uh, business. It's a very competitive feel. When we started in East Village, we didn't know that East Village is actually the most dense in terms of coffee shop in New York. Ignorance is definitely a bliss back then. <laughs> yep. So, uh, but we spent a lot of time educating ourselves. We got ourselves um, certified by the Specialty Coffee Association in different modules of coffee. Some got her certificate. Uh, she got certified as a curator, uh, which is very similar to becoming like a psalm in uh, the wine world. So you go to like 19 different crazy tests, you know, put your sensories to tests to be able to calibrate um, and to tell the differences between the great of coffee. So we definitely came a really long way, um, but it's all just to equip ourselves with you know, enough knowledge uh, in the field that we're in. And of course, to make sound decisions based on what we know. I think that exam changed my life uh, in coffee. Um, because before I have a chance to actually uh, dive into more in coffee or take the Q exam, um, we source based on taste. And um, we are, I get very hard headed sometimes when I want the product because of how it tasted and all that. And I just keep searching and scouting. And then I went for the queue and realized that just like any other thing in the world, uh, coffee is agriculture product. There are good days and bad days. And um, I learned a lot more about coffee, cherry on its own in the farm and how it's being produced and why it is this taste. So now when I get my hands on any coffee that I think um, I want to, it's about bringing the best out of that coffee instead of just looking for the best coffee. Yeah, um, it meant so much more for me right now because I'm thinking about people who spend a lot of time um, growing the trees, but because of uh, the environment, not having the altitude, not having the resources to produce certain um, quality, then doesn't mean that their coffee is not as good. It's just... It's just limited resources. Yeah, yeah. I, I think because again, you know, like coffee is an agricultural product. You sometimes don't get to choose how, what the outcome is. You can try your best uh, planting it, um, nurturing the tree, uh, harvesting, you know, during, you know, um, when it's really ripened. But uh, like some said, a lot of farmers don't have the resources to do some experimental processing to bring out very interesting flavors out of the coffee. Uh, but it doesn't mean that the coffee is bad. Mm. Um, and they definitely deserve the recognition uh, for the hard work that they've put in. Yeah. yeah. So we go a lot by relationship now. Most of our coffee uh, that we offer in the coffee shop, we have 
coffee selection that we have been working together for like two years down the road, three years down the road, same farm, same producer. That's how relationship became. And then we have coffees that I know that, oh, it's interesting. We can source something like that. But once we start talking to the producer and you develop this relationship, you realize that because of the commitment that we did for them during this uh, whole year, they have the money to try something new and then produce new coffee that they think that it's going to be interesting and they offer to you the next year. So yeah. it's exciting for me. I don't know. I feel like these are the things that I, I get really excited about. Yeah, it's like a little more impactful for sure. Definitely. Um, well, you two are so inspiring and, and what you've built in our building is amazing. And so kind of starting to wrap up, we wanted to ask if you have any advice for particularly young Asian American Pacific Islander women who are looking to either be entrepreneurs, enter either the coffee industry or hospitality in some sphere. I think um, the number one thing that I would definitely think it's important is really be flexible um, and be determined. Um, like sometimes you want to do it and things don't really will go your way. It will just hit you in your face and tell you like, this is not meant to be. Um, we have had it so many times when we were starting Copy Project in East Village. It's like a roller coaster. You start off by having a great day because you got something. And then three hours later, you realize that someone took it away from you. No, things like that. But um, just keep going. I think uh, be flexible in terms of like, if this is not here, then maybe you can do something else and still get there. I remember times where people would open the door when at the very beginning and saw, you know, like two Asian women behind bar and walked out. Um, I think building, you know, a strong mentality and telling ourselves that our product will eventually speak for, for us is very important. I think, um, the mentality of an entrepreneur is, you know, you go into work and you're not just making coffee, uh, even though you're in the coffee field, uh, you're going in there with the mindset of solving any issue that is being thrown your way is very important. <laughs> and once you have that mentality, you know, whatever that's you know, being thrown at you, you'll be like, okay, I'm just going to fix this. Well, a pipe burst, sure. Let me fix that. The pump stop so working. Nice. Great. Never mind. I'm going to go fix that. No espresso machine, no issue. We'll figure out a way to get you your coffee. Yep. Yeah. I think it's that mentality of like, keep going. And many people told us like, you know, you have to know when to stop and when to take a break. Taking a break, yes, definitely. We don't know how to take a break, which is really bad. But you know when to stop. Um, I will not let anyone tell me when to stop. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. You guys are amazing. Um, and our last segment we call the quick fire tasting menu. And we just love to hear the first answers that come to your mind. So the first question is what is your go-to coffee order? Drip. Drip coffee. Second question, your favorite pastry and coffee pairing. Almond croissant and drip. Plain croissant and drip coffee or butter cookie and drip coffee. That works too. Uh, dark or light roast? Light. Medium. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That works too. It could have been dark, medium, or light. 
<laughs> um, what's your favorite takeout right now? Fried chicken. She's definitely going fried chicken. Uh, a Thai Hainanese chicken. Oh, you know which yes, I'm talking yes, about. Uh, I don't know if it's butchered the name. Yeah, we're probably butchered the name. It's Im called Man Kai. Yeah, it's like a Thai uh, Hainanese, chicken, Hainanese rice. chicken rice. Yeah, so mm -hmm. good. Where do you get it from? Where is it? It's in Elmhurst in New York, <laughs> in wow. Queens. Yeah. After a long day, I think that is what we want. Like, we'll yeah, drive so all good. the way and just yeah. grab it. Adding it to the list. <laughs> um, and finally, who's someone in the food world or coffee world who you think is doing something cool that you want to give a shout out to? I'm going to go with Veronica Green from Glitter Cat Barista. I'm going to go with, uh, let's see. This is so hard. <laughs> I, would, I would go with um, Moonlin and Yin. I don't know if you know them. Uh, Heart of Dinner. Uh, oh, yeah. They're doing yeah, amazing things, um, providing food for um, the elderly Asian community mm -hmm. in New York. Really amazing stuff. Yeah, I saw you guys just did a collab with them that's sold out now, right? <laughs> yeah. Bummer. Yes. Like, we don't have enough green coffee for that. Um, but um, it's, it has been a great collab. Yeah, well, this was, it was such a pleasure to get to talk to you two and to hear your story. And I'm from New York, so next time I'm home, I'm definitely going to have to stop by one of your locations. Let's know. We'd love to make some coffee for you, though. And that's a wrap on our episode with Coffee Project NYC. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Elena Cho. And I'm Maggie Tang. And this is Gourmand.